0: So years ago, I had a college professor who told me the story of the elephant rope. Maybe you've heard this story before, but it goes a little something like this. It talks about a guy long ago who was walking through an elephant camp, and he spotted all of these elephants, and he noticed something peculiar. He noticed that they weren't being kept in cages. Rather, all that was holding them back from escaping from this camp was just a little piece of rope tied to a post and then to one of their legs. And so he was curious and he wanted to know the answer. And so he asked one of the nearby trainers, he said, how are the elephants just standing there and not escaping? And so the trainer gave him an answer. He replied that when they were very young, that they would put this rope on the young elephant and tie it to the post and that that was enough at the time to keep the elephant from escaping and as it grew it just became conditioned to believe that it cannot break free that that rope was holding them back so they just never tried maybe you've heard this before but it's it's something that has always stuck with me. And, and I think the reason is, is because if I'm honest, there's a tension that I feel the Sunday after Easter. We had a great celebration last week. It was amazing. We celebrated the resurrection, the empty tomb. We celebrated baptism. But now, for probably most of us, our Easter best outfit is packed away back in our closet. The lunch that maybe you have uh, today is is... Not as great as what you had last week. The festivities are over. There's less excitement. There's less decor, maybe even less celebration. And I've always wondered why that is for me. Why do I feel so different this week than I did last? Why don't I feel the same as I did on Easter? And I think why I resonate with the elephant rope story so much is that at the end of the day, when the meal is over and when the company's gone and when Monday comes, I still feel like I'm tied to the same post, unable to truly ever be free. And so today, what I want to do, we're finishing up our series called Fulfilled, and I want to look at this question, how can you and I move from simply being inspired by Jesus To being transformed by a spirit. How do we go from being inspired to transformed? Let's define our terms real quick. Let's kind of break down where we are so that we're all on the same page. When I talk about inspiration, here's what that means. Inspiration is the process of being mentally stimulated to feel or to do something. Right, I always think of those uh, those uh, McLaughlin commercials. Right, Sarah McLaughlin with the, the dogs in the arms of an angel. Right, those commercials inspire you. They're trying to make you feel something, so that you will do something, so that you will adopt a stray dog into your home. Right, but transformation is different. Transformation, when we talk about that, it means to change greatly the nature. Of something or the condition of something if you have your Bibles with you uh, I would encourage you to go to Galatians chapter 5 and then later on we're gonna be in Acts chapter 2 but I love the book of Galatians because Paul writes this very powerful letter to the churches in Galatia. so a little bit of background he established these churches in this region called Galatia we would look at it as modern-day Turkey And these churches were made up of both Jews and Gentiles, and Gentiles are very simply non-Jews. And they were pretty uh, healthy churches for a while. And people were growing and, and they were learning and they were deepening in their faith. And then at some point down the road after Paul had left, he starts hearing these reports, these rumors, that some of the believers in these churches were being influenced by some false teachers and some false teaching. And what was happening is that these false teachers were going to the Gentiles of the church, to the non-Jews of the church, and they were teaching them, they were convincing them that they had to experience salvation through following the law, that in order to be saved, they had to follow the Old Testament law of Moses in the same way that the Jews did. And so Paul hears of this, and he gets extremely angry. The letter that he writes to the church in Galatia is an extremely angry letter. It's, it's a rebuke. He's writing this passionate plea to these churches for them to not give up their freedom that they have in Christ. He, he talks about don't return to slavery. Don't return to the slavery of your sin or to the slavery of legalism. In chapter 3, he uses this language. He says, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's literally like they're, they're under this spell by these false teachers. Because if we're honest, all of us, at some level, we prefer a list of do's and don'ts. It's easy. It's easier for us to grasp, to follow. It's easy for us to gauge, to measure how well we're doing. But Paul is reminding them that the essence of the gospel message is that salvation comes through faith alone in Jesus, not by anything that you and I could ever do. And then we get to chapter five of the book and chapter five is like the pinnacle the pinnacle moment of Paul's letter here. And here's how it opens. Galatians chapter five, verse one, he says this, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. I wanna start with this, that our walk with Christ starts with being inspired by freedom. Inspiration is not a bad thing. You and I, we love stories of inspiration, right? I mean, people have made a lot of money by writing stories or creating movies or, or doing works of art that are meant to inspire. And for many of those creators, their creation starts from a place of inspiration. Sometime last year, uh, my wife Diane and I, we decided that we were going to kind of start our own book club. We were gonna read uh, a book together and so we, we started, I wasn't a big fiction reader, but we started reading these mystery books. And uh, we found this author that we really liked. And about um, kind of four books into her series that she writes, I decided that her work captivated me so much, inspired me so much that I was going to become a mystery writer. I mean, I've always enjoyed writing, I've enjoyed kind of that creation process, and so I decided that I was going to create my own fictional world with intricate characters and captivating plots. And so I even Googled, I I Googled, what books should I read to become a better mystery writer? And I ordered like the first three that I saw. And as they came and as I started to read them, I got just a couple chapters in on one of them and I put it down and I said, you know what? It seems like it's a lot of work to be a mystery writer, and I don't even know that I want to be a mystery writer. But that's the thing, right? Inspiration is temporary. But it's not bad. Jesus inspired people with a message of freedom. I love what he says in John chapter eight. Starting in verse 31, he says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then jump down to verse 35, he says, The slave does not remain in the house forever, and the son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed that one of the things that drew people to Jesus was their curiosity about this message of freedom that he was proclaiming. They were inspired by it. They were moved by it. There was something mentally that, that was captivating them by the words that he was speaking. That those who believed that they weren't good enough, those who believed that they weren't socially acceptable, those that had been told That they're not socially acceptable, that they could be free, they could find belonging, they could find worth, they could experience true freedom. And friends, when Jesus walks out of the tomb, freedom bursts forth in an extreme way and proclaims that, yes, the captive can be set free, that the yoke of slavery and the chains of death have been broken. I mean, this is what we just celebrated a week ago. This is what gives us so much energy on Easter Sunday. But my question for all of us is, how'd you feel on Monday? How'd you feel on Tuesday? What about Wednesday? And I believe that the tension that I feel these weeks after Easter is that what can tend to happen is we can tend to look at the empty tomb and we walk away inspired and nothing more. That it does make us feel something. We should feel something as we encounter the empty tomb, as we encounter the message of the gospel. It should make us feel and think. But if that's all it does, if all it does at the end of the day is inspire us to go and live a better life, to go and try and be a better parent or a better spouse or a better worker, if all we do is walk away inspired, then have we really encountered the message of the empty tomb? Because inspiration is temporary. And we need something more. And so Paul is reminding the Galatians, and he's reminding us that Jesus' work on the cross, that his death and that his ultimate resurrection, his defeat of death, has provided us with that something more. That it has invited us to be transformed by the Spirit. And when when we talk about transformation, I want to be very clear Transformation is not about trying to be better or have a better life. Hear that. Transformation is not about trying harder, trying to be better, or having a better life. That's not what transformation is. I spent a lot of time growing up in in Hannibal, Missouri, just just up the highway from here. My dad lived there his whole life, and so I was kind of in and out growing up. And Hannibal doesn't have much going for it, but it does have one thing, right? It's, it's the history of Mark Twain. That's like the theme of Hannibal. Everything is Mark Twain. And so I learned a lot about Mark Twain growing up, and I learned that he had some very strong opinions on religion, that he wasn't often swayed by religious propaganda or, or different sermons that he would hear. And he was reportedly once said, he he once said this, that church is good people standing in front of good people, teaching them how to be good people. Let that sit for just a moment. Church, as Mark Twain saw it, was good people standing in front of good people, teaching them how to be good people. But friends, we're not called to try to be better people. If that's what we think, then we have completely misunderstood spiritual transformation. The gospel has to be bigger than just this right system of moral behaviors, of rights and wrongs, that we need to understand the very nature of the transformation that we encounter at the empty tomb. So Paul picks up this idea in Galatians 5, verse 16. He says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. All of us know this battle probably pretty well that Paul's talking about, that the flesh and the spirit are always at odds. And when the Bible talks about the flesh, what it's talking about is our ego, our ego that, that feels this emptiness, that there's something missing, but it uses all of the resources within its own grasp and within its own power to try to fill it. Our flesh is the attempt to try to satisfy ourselves with anything except for God's call to redemption. And so the gospel inspires us to freedom, but it calls for more. It calls for us to be transformed by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. But here's something that I've learned. Words like transformation and words like change can be heard very differently from person to person. We all have different feelings, different reactions when we talk about these kind of things that the goal is not to produce good religious people, right? The Pharisees in the New Testament could be labeled as good religious people and Jesus condemned them more than once. But Jesus's invitation to be transformed is a spiritual level more than it is a behavioral level. That to move beyond inspiration of Jesus and his teachings, to move into transformation, is to literally invite death upon our old selves. To invite death upon us so that we can be recreated as a new creation alive in Christ. Let me say it another way. Inspermate inspiration without transformation is only information. Let me say that again. Inspiration without transformation is only information. But the flip side of that is that inspiration that leads to transformation that's freedom. That's living a new life being transformed in the Spirit. That the empty tomb should not just inspire us to good feelings in the midst of our brokenness, but it actually invites the Spirit to transform us out of our brokenness. For freedom, Christ has set you free. So stand firm and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. But here's the bigger question. What do we do with this freedom? Right? Why are we free? Why does Paul so badly want the Galatians to live in freedom? What are they supposed to do with it? And he answers that question in verse 13 of chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love. Serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, why do we move from being inspired by the message of freedom to being transformed by the Spirit? So that we, through love, can serve. Let me ask you this, when you look at the empty tomb, what do you see? Now, Many people can answer that question differently, but it's a question that we can't ignore. It's a question that demands a response. For some people, they see the empty tomb and their response is to walk away skeptical, of the message of freedom that it offers. For others, they look at the empty tomb and they have this temporary emotion that fades almost as quickly as it came. But then again, for some, they see at the empty tomb an opportunity to step inside, to lay where Jesus lay, and to walk out in new life to be reborn, recreated, renewed, free through the Holy Spirit. What does Paul say? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, Jesus died. And Jesus conquered death so that you could be free, not only from death, but that you could be free from the pursuit of trying to please a God who is already pleased with you. Let me give you a a practical example here. In Acts chapter 2, we have kind of the the emergence of the first church of the New Testament. Jesus has ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit has come down and and filled the disciples. and, And Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, preaches the first kind of Sunday sermon, if you will. And he talks, he shares the gospel. He talks about Jesus and and who he was and what he has done. And then he calls people to repent and to believe. And 3,000 people respond that day. But what I love is what happens after that. And here's where the story picks up. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Friends, you look at the the picture of, of this early church and love is all over it. They loved being together. They loved being united. They loved hearing the word and the teachings. They loved to give. They loved to be generous and to serve those in need they loved to gather for worship they loved to pray they loved to praise god and god was moving but how do we know that this wasn't just temporary how do we know that this wasn't just a sunday a church gathering What it says at verse 46. Day by day. This wasn't just a momentary focus. This was life change. This was a transformation of spirit. This, friends, was a renewed creation. Inspiration without transformation will only give us information. And for some, information is all we have. And maybe it's all you want. But I just wanna tell you that Jesus offers us something far greater. That yes, he inspires us, but he invites us to experience transformation into freedom. I began by telling you the, the story of the elephant rope. Why did the elephant not experience freedom? Quite simply because it didn't believe that it was possible. It had been conditioned early on to believe that they could never be free. But all it had to do was take one step forward. And friends, Jesus took the step. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus lay in the tomb and Jesus walked out so that you could experience freedom. And people don't often welcome transformation. People don't often think about how to love by serving others. But my question that I want to give you is as you stand in front of the tomb, where love laid in death and walked out in life. Can I just ask you, what hurts worse? Staying the same or being transformed? Use your freedom to love because the whole law was fulfilled in Jesus's love for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that for freedom you have set us free. And so God, we pray as Paul pleaded that we would stand firm therefore in that freedom, that we would not submit again to slavery, that we would not submit to our stubbornness, that we would not submit to our desires for comfort, that we would not submit to our fears or to our hurts, but God, that we would invite death to our old selves, that we would invite transformation in you, and God, that we would then be a people that simply love, that we love others, that we would serve those who have need that we would give of ourselves so that other people might feel your spirit and your provision and your comfort in their lives. God, we invite transformation through your spirit in Jesus name.